0: There's the music. Now we got it. Hey, this is John Guthrie, and we are under the tower today. And we are under the tower of Halifax Health for a special podcast. And I have a special guest, Lane Jennings Jr. Welcome, Lane. Thanks, John. So I really have been wanting to do this podcast for a long time because Lane works in our um, behavioral health area. And you guys do a fantastic job. Well, thank you. Let me just say that. I mean, it's incredible. I've had personal experiences there i've had friends who've been there but there's a mystery there's
1: a mystery about what happens there Mm -hmm. i think there is and so So let's talk about yeah
0: we've got to change that you know it's like you know what happens down there what happens on the 2500 level what happens what happens what happens and the way many people get introduced to um mental health is when crisis comes right Mm -hmm. and i was looking at some numbers and in 2021, 48,000 people died by suicide. Not something we really like to talk about. Mm -mm. Firearms, common method, accounting for 50%. And it is the leading cause of death for children 10 to 14, which is super scary. Yeah. So mental health, which I think people are kind of shifting to the word mental well-being. Mm -hmm. Because mental health is kind of like confusing, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, let's start. First of all, how did you even get into... Uh, working with, with patients and their mental wellness.
1: Yeah, so I had some personal challenges that that um that kind of led to a social worker, actually Mark Spivey who works here at the, the hospital. Spivester. Yeah. <laughs> He's great. Yeah. So he uh he intervened at a time where I was really going through some some difficult challenges and uh and he kinda planted the seeds of my desire to want to become a social worker and really want to help people. And, and that's kind of where it started.
0: And your degree for people, and we need people in your profession. Yeah. We are short people in this profession, people. So, and your
1: degree is what? So like Mark Spivey, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. You're yep. just taller than he is. Yeah, just a little taller. Just than a Mark. little
0: taller. <laughs> but he is fantastic. He really is. So what is the main thing
1: that you really do? So I'm the program supervisor for the adult psychiatric unit, and so I oversee the clinical services that we provide there. Uh, we run four psychiatric um, – we run five psychiatric groups every day, so a lot of group therapy. Our primary mode of treatment is, uh, is medication, so we have five full-time psychiatrists who prescribe medicines, and then we run, we run groups all day long, and the groups include anything from wellness to yoga to pet therapy, music – Spirituality, we have an arts and crafts group, psychotherapy. So we run groups all day long from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. And
0: this is really focused on inpatient. And when people need inpatient, it's
1: because why? It's because they have reached a point in their life where they really need some help with their mental health. It's either anxiety or depression, or maybe they have a severe and persistent mental illness like schizophrenia or bipolar, or maybe they've lost somebody or they've had a suicide attempt. So some kind of crisis has evolved. And so let's talk about that crisis. That happens um,
0: to probably everybody goes through some type of crisis in their life. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's just the way you process it and, and how you deal with it. Because some people probably hide it away and never let anybody know. Some people are outward and may maybe take it out on other things or other people. That's right. But crisis is really why people end up um, seeking the mental health um, solutions or treatments that we have. So just to kind of put a little bit of kind of behind the scenes to it, first of all, the staff down there is phenomenal.
1: Yes, the culture down there is I'm so proud of the people that – and I've been down there for almost seven years now. And see, that's
0: part of the problem. We say down there. Okay. And down sounds bad. Or
1: the basement. But it's
0: not bad. But, you know, it's like everything with mental health until now has been like, well, let's not talk about it. Let's hide it. Mm -hmm. It's not something we really openly talk about, but that's changing, thankfully.
1: Yes. And the culture is changing, too. And so I've been down there for about seven years and I have watched the culture really shift. And I give a lot of. Credit to Jim Terry and Isabella Krostowski. There's been a lot of uh, turnover. There's been a fair amount of turnover. Some negative people have left. Some more positive people have come. And the culture down there is really what I'm most proud of.
0: That's great. Um, and, and, and the other change that I've seen is the approach. Because I think before the approach was we had a lot of long-term patients in there mm-hmm. who had no, no place else to go. And thanks to case management and some other folks, we've been able to get them to a, the right level of care for them because we really are a short-term solution, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. It's short-term crisis stabilization. So the average length of stay is probably somewhere between three and five days. Yeah, There are some patients that are there quite a bit longer, but the average length of stay on the inpatient unit is about three to five days.
0: So what, what I really want to kind of pull back the kimono on here is that when people are in crisis, mm-hmm. a, per, let's say I'm in crisis, what what are my options to avoid if I so if if I want to avoid um, law enforcement? We'll talk about that in a minute. But what mm-hmm. are my options, or what are my family members' options for getting help if I am in crisis and let's say I want to hurt someone or I want to hurt myself?
1: Okay. So, if it's gotten to the point where you wanna hurt somebody or you wanna hurt somebody else, the best thing to do is probably to call 911 and ask for some help, ask the police to come out and assess the situation. I do it a lot. It's really, you, you call the local police department and you say, I'd like to do a wellness check, and here's the address, and here's what's going on. Or you can come to the hospital voluntarily, and we'll triage you in the ED, and you'll see a psychiatric provider at that time. And they'll determine from there what's going to be the best case scenario. And
0: see, and there's one more thing now. Um, Stuart, SMA, formerly Stuart Marchman Act, has a crisis team, which when I called out there just to see for a friend of mine, they said within an hour they would have someone there to, to talk to. And so the interesting thing is you brought up a great point. Um, law enforcement has the ability to issue a Baker Act. That's right. But... And, and that can be traumatic. Sometimes there's... Um, because the law enforcement officer has to make some decisions. And they're not trained mental health, mental wellness professionals necessarily. You're right. So they're in a difficult position. So if you call law enforcement, and if they think that you have the capability and the thoughts that you may hurt yourself or others, mm-hmm. what
1: happens? Then they will... Um... They'll bring you by police car into the back of the vehicle, and they'll bring you down for a psychiatric evaluation. They're likely to bankrupt you, but they may ask if you want to come voluntarily.
0: And something I've been talking to um, Sheriff Chitwood about is, you know, do we really need to handcuff people when we put them in the squad car?
1: I think they lose some of their dignity, so it's a good question. I do, too. Yeah, I think.
0: But I also understand that law enforcement's, you know, they want them to be as safe as possible.
1: They do, and they get people who are under the influence, and, yeah. you know, there is some risk associated. There's a lot
0: of different things happening there. But I I do worry about the dignity with handcuffs. So we're still talking that through. Um, so But the important thing here is if the person will come with you, you know, voluntarily. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you may talk to somebody, and they're like, I just, you know, I'm depressed. I, I'm calling you because I you know they may be totally willing to which is which is an, a nice route but i don't think enough people know that that's an option so what happens if i bring someone involuntarily to halifax health
1: so you show up at the ed and we'll check them in and a triage nurse will come out just gather some basic information and then we'll bring you back and we'll put you just in a regular ed room and the, the nurse will tend to you and the, eventually the psychiatric provider at some point will come and assess your needs and determine if you meet the, the criteria for inpatient hospitalization or if we need to cr- try to create a safe discharge plan for you and not be admitted to the hospital.
0: So, now, if I'm the loved one, can I go back to that room with them? Yes. So that's big, I think. Yeah, it, it, I think that's you know, important to know. Yeah, that's really good because I wasn't sure how that would work. Now, the other thing is um, if you're voluntary, how does that? Okay, let's say that they the the physician meets with you, or the psychiatrist, or it could be an extender who uh, or an APRN. Um, uh-huh. Who who? What, what's that evaluation like? What do they do?
1: Well, they're going to ask you some demographic information. They'll they'll gather a, a a psychosocial history on you. Like, do you have a history of mental illness? Is there a history of depression? Um, is there any history of suicide attempts? So they ask some questions to try to get a feel for how imminent the danger is. Gotcha. Yes. Do you really have the intent to follow through with the plan or are you having these vague thoughts of suicidal ideation? Is that normal for you? That type of thing.
0: But just to back up for a second, you don't have to have suicidal ideation to come here. No, no, not at all. You could just say, you know what? I am not feeling right
1: mentally. Right. And there's something, something's up Mm -hmm. and I want some help. Yeah. And I want some help. And I think that's an important message to get out because I think that's, the stigma of a of mental health and addiction right. is such that um, people don't want to ask for right. help. Well, and I opened up today. Or...
0: That, well, they're afraid they're going to be admitted. They may be afraid that they're going to harm themselves. I mean, there's just a lot there. Yeah, they may
1: lose their job.
0: They may. Right. I mean, there's just... right. There's a lot. Mm-hmm. So, um, so if if they deem that I'm, you know, that you know what you're experiencing some depression. Um, we're going to – might they write me a prescription or anything there, or is it all going to be kind of follow-up if I'm not admitted?
1: If you're not admitted, there will be a follow-up appointment schedule. We would encourage you to attend a follow-up appointment, but they won't be able to prescribe medications for you out of the ED. You'd have to be admitted in order to –
0: And so um, it's, hey, here are some resources. Yeah, here's some resources. And one thing I just want to get out there is our community is – is shy on resources that aren't that don't involve i always say we're really good at crisis but our our community doesn't have as much kind of middle of the road
1: right mental health help as we need no it's so true in fact, Florida is ranked either 49th or 50th yeah. in mental health, substance abuse, and homelessness services. So Florida, in general, just isn't behind right these these social issues.
0: And so that's, that becomes a little bit of a problem for our folks because they have to look at you and say, well, are you going to follow this regimen or is this not going to happen and you're going to be back? Right. And so that's a that's a tricky thing. So let's say that we determined that... Um, I am, that I need to be admitted. Mm -hmm. What happens?
1: So if you're admitted. Am I Baker acted or am I just admitted? You could be. It it just depends on how you're presenting. Um, If the, if it's imminent danger and it seems like um, you have a plan and you're fully intending on following through, then you could be converted from a voluntary admission to an involuntary patient. So your legal status could change. And the opposite could also be true. The police could bring somebody in under a Baker Act, and the doctor could say, I'm going to lift the Baker Act because you don't meet criteria under the Baker Act, but if you'd like, I'd like for you to be admitted voluntarily. Would you consider that?
0: So that's great to know. Just because the law enforcement brings you here under a Baker Act, you don't have to be in a Baker Act to meet criteria to be admitted. Not necessarily. That's great. that happens all the time. So what is the criteria to be admitted?
1: Well, the criteria to be admitted, uh, it depends if we're talking about depression. If it's about depression or extreme anxiety, we might look toward, um, you know, how bad is the depression? How would you rate it on a scale one to 10? Are you having thoughts of wanting to hurt yourself? If we're talking about something more severe, like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, are you manic? If so, how manic are you? Um, Are you experiencing psychosis? Do you hear voices? Are you paranoid? You know, so it just depends on what illness we're talking about and how that, um, how severe that is. And
0: really, if you think about it, when we think about criteria to be admitted in the hospital in general, a lot of times it's really black and white. But when it comes to mental well-being, it's not black and white, and it really has to go with the with the gut of the, the gut, so to speak, of the practitioner yes. to say, I think this person can do this or I think this person can do that. Agreed. Now, if, if they don't lift the Baker Act, Or, if the practitioner puts you under a Baker Act, what does that mean for like hours and all that, you know, all that crazy 72 hours, all these crazy things? What does it really mean?
1: Good question. So, the 72 hour rule is probably one of the most misunderstood things in mental health, at least down in the area where we work. So, the 72 hour rule doesn't mean that you're going to come to the hospital and be discharged at 72 hours. It just means that a psychiatric provider has 72 hours to make an evaluation and determine do you meet the criteria for discharge or should I keep you a little bit longer to observe you to make sure that you're safe. And oftentimes um, when patients are placed under a Baker Act, they are held for a little longer than 72 hours. If they're still here on Thursday, every Thursday we hold Baker Act court on the unit. So the judge, the attorneys, everybody comes down to the unit and it's it's really, a, um, it's we remind patients you haven't done anything wrong this is just about your mental well-being it's really for mention, their safety yeah and for their safety and for the safety of our community
0: and we have to change that stigma yeah we have to, we have and that's to change why i love that.
1: that you're calling it mental well-being yeah
0: that's yeah. what we have to start doing i think yeah because it is it's
1: a road to mental wellness
0: so i have 72 hours until um a psychiatrist
1: has to see me Yes, but a psychiatrist is likely to evaluate you within 24 hours. Yeah, yeah, it's very likely that you'll see a provider, and then you may even see another provider, a different provider, so that they can make a second opinion about whether you, how you're doing and what's going to be best moving forward. And
0: so then do I go to a floor and get a room and, and the whole bit?
1: Yeah, so your family can come back to you from the triage and into the emergency room if you're there voluntarily. And once you're medically cleared, you may be moved to a psychiatric ED observation area. The family can't go with you back there. But at that point, you'll be there for a short period of time, usually four to six hours. Uh, uh, depends if you come in during the day or at night. And the provider will then evaluate you. If you do meet the criteria f- to come to an inpatient unit, then we'll bring you right over. The psych ED observation area is, is the 2500 unit, which is right next to the adult 26
0: and 2700 unit. Gotcha. So you go there um, and you've been admitted and now it's pretty much like a regular hospital stay as far as you're there in a room for treatment.
1: Yes. Yes. And so we begin medications immediately. You have an opportunity to start participating in our programming, which includes a, a wellness group right away at nine o'clock. And then we have fresh air when we play basketball and have we wee and we throw cornhole and uh, and that's at 9.30, and so you begin the programming there, and we have five or six groups every day.
0: That's great. I didn't know you played basketball down there. Do you yeah. whip up? Do you play too?
1: I used to. But yeah,
0: Lane, is a, he's a tall guy, <laughs> and he's a big basketball and baseball guy, so I just wonder.
1: I didn't know. And another thing worth mentioning, John, is that we have a med psych unit, and to the best of my knowledge – our med-psych unit is the only one in the whole in the whole state of Florida. Wow, so, I didn't know that. Yeah, so we have a 14-bed uh, unit on the fourth floor, and those are patients that have a medical issue and a psychiatric Got issue pending there. Got it. Yeah, so it's a really unique floor, and we're able to treat people um, with just about any medical need along with their psychiatric needs. That's
0: wonderful. And how many? I I know Jeff said it the other day. How many total beds do we have?
1: We have 52 inpatient 52. beds. That's yeah, great. and 22. Uh, psych ed beds
0: so i mean really when when we look at the need for the community if halifax health weren't here doing this uh what what who knows what the community would look like because we're usually fairly full if mm -hmm. i'm not mistaken
1: we do our census is pretty full and, and it it's one of the things that halifax um does that nobody else in the area does right now you mentioned Stuart marchman they do have a crisis service unit right but we're the only hospital based right which
0: which is a big difference probably it is because we can serve a lot so many
1: resources yeah and we can serve patients who have medical issues we have the meds you know so there's a lot of things that we can do that that uh other people so
0: if so now i I know this can be a little confusing because we're talking about two different tracks one is voluntary one is involuntary but let's just say that we have that a person is brought here uh is under a Baker Act. The physician doesn't feel like they should remove the Baker Act. They're admitted. They start into programming, perhaps medication. Mm-hmm. Then, can they leave whenever they want, or can, or do they have to be discharged?
1: They can't leave whenever they want. It is a, la- a locked unit, but um, they can request what's called a right of release. So it's a document. They can request it, and at that point. The doctor has 24 hours to make a decision about whether they're okay to be discharged or not.
0: Got it. Yeah. So so the family and, and the patient could say, you know what, um, it's been two days, feeling much better. The doctor had originally said, we may do four days, then the family can do this. And what's it called again? A
1: rite of release. So
0: they would ask the nurse, can we get a right of release? We'd fill it out. Probably meet with the doctor and see if it's see if it's appropriate. Yes.
1: And another thing worth noting is if the family is really advocating for the loved one to be discharged and they say, We will take responsibility, we'll make sure that we're there with them. We there's a lot that goes into our discharge planning, but when families are involved, it's really encouraging because we know there's another layer of safety there right, for that patient. Right.
0: And and I know that um, you know, from personal experience that 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 piece of it is just a huge blessing when people have family who are open, engaged, Mm -hmm. talking about it uh, because that just makes it so much easier, I think, on the patient. But they have to give them the right to do that if they're
1: an adult. They do. So you have, we go to each patient and we ask, is it okay? Do we have the consent to speak to your mother or your father or your husband or your son or whatever it is? And if the patient says yes, then we have consent and they sign a piece of paper and then it's okay for us to talk to them. If they say no, I'd rather this be private, then we have to honor their their privacy right. and their wishes not and to that, include anybody.
0: Just from my vantage point, um, and it depends, again, what the stressor is in the home that made it that they needed to come in. But uh, I just think that having more people being open about it gives that person a better chance to be able to adapt. You know, it's like you almost have to admit it to yourself Mm -hmm. and then have your family admit it and support
1: you. Yeah, the more support that's in place, the better the outcomes, generally speaking. That makes sense. Yeah.
0: So that's, and then, so then if you don't request a release, eventually they're going to say, you know, you've done these programs, we've got you on this medication regimen, you seem to be doing well, we're going to release you
1: tomorrow or whatever. Exactly. So each morning the doctor comes around and evaluates the patient and decides, do they meet the criteria to stay another day or do they meet the criteria to be discharged today? And if they do, then we plan for the, we we plan from the discharge right away, right off the bat. But the doctor does have an opportunity to, um, you know, we can plan for Thursday or Friday or whatever's coming up and we, we try to be very careful and thoughtful about what's going to be in the best interest of the patient and, and, s- and their families.
0: So when they leave here, they have a roadmap?
1: Yes. our deta- We have uh, licensed mental health counselors and licensed clinical social workers who serve as our case management team, and they begin discharge planning right away. And so there are not a lot of resources, as you mentioned, but there are resources in the community, and we I think we do a good job um working together and collaborating. So each morning at 8 o'clock, our treatment team, which includes these counselors that I'm talking about, along with the doctors and along with some other clinical staff, we meet each morning to talk about all the patients because we we see them all from a different angle.
0: It's so interesting because I think a lot of times you think that someone who comes in, unfortunately, is like just put on medication and, you know, kept in a room where, you know, they... Where they don't interact, but it's it's just like being in in the regular hospital. You have a multidisciplinary team, great care, mm-hmm. um, you know. So it really, really is, I think, one of the gems that we have. And I'm so thankful that people like you and your team members are in this in this profession because it's just so needed. I mean, we have, I would say, roughly ten to 10 to 15 people who come in for psych, uh, I don't even like that, for behavioral health evaluations a day?
1: Yeah, a day.
0: I mean, that's just a lot. Yeah. And what percentage, if you had to guess, do you think actually end up being admitted?
1: we run those s- numbers? I, I, I'm not sure what the what the data is on that, but I would guess maybe somewhere around half. Yeah. Half of the people that come through, whether they're placed under a Baker Act or they come in voluntary, make it to the adult unit and about half get discharged. That's great,
0: and one thing that I'm really proud of that you share with me is the satisfaction rate of the unit. Our satisfaction rates, well, I'll let you tell. I our, mean, they're our, phenomenal. Yes,
1: our mental health outcome data on the on the adult inpatient unit is fantastic. Over ninety nine percent of the people that um, that we survey at the at the end of their treatment report increased depressive symptoms from the time they arrived to the time they left. So we know that we're we're doing really good, and most people suffer from depression and anxiety. That's the most common mental illness that we see there. Yeah, so our outcome data is really good. That's great. Yeah, I'm really proud of that. So how many people work in those units? Uh, It's a huge unit. There's over 100 people on the the staff altogether. Um, uh, And so we have, like I mentioned, we have 52 inpatient beds. At any point in time, we'll have maybe 10 nurses, 10 to 12 techs. We have five counselors on staff. Um, We have five OT, part of our OT team, and they facilitate a lot of our groups. Occupational therapy. Yeah. 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 So they facilitate a lot of our groups and uh, it's a big team and a big, uh, a a big, a big thing that we're doing down there.
0: Yeah. I mean, and and I just think because of the past, it's been, it hasn't been noticed as much, but with the, with the governor's wife um, focused on mental health with, um, you know, we, we have a, a relationship to get people to just open up and talk.
1: I think COVID has also brought to light the importance of mental yeah. health. A lot of people got isolated and it increased mental health, you know, symptoms. And I think COVID really helped to open up the door a little bit and encourage people to ask for help.
0: So if I had to kind of summarize to some, like a friend of mine who's, let's say a friend of mine who has an, an adult child who's going through a rough time. If they're extremely depressed and I can get them to come to the hospital mm-hmm. how would you how would you characterize extremely depressed
1: extreme extremely depressed is probably going to be a self-care deficit maybe they're not showering or not eating maybe they've lost a lot of weight over the last yeah. six months um, you know they're just neglecting themselves or not functioning well in the community they're their interaction is really limited maybe with some, maybe some of the people that they were close to before they're not talking to. So those are some of the more common features. Of so a if I have depression.
0: someone like that, I've got a couple choices. I can look for an outpatient um, therapist. yes, which can. is not super easy to find.
1: No, it's tough. Uh,
0: or if we're in crisis mode, I could say, hey, you know why don't you take your take your son or daughter to Halifax health to our behavioral health, unit and have an evaluation a professional evaluation done yes and they can come here and they can be a part of it the parent can be a part of it or the loved one can be a part of it and we are going to take the precautions necessary to make sure that they get um, whatever type of care our experts feel they need right
1: and if If there are friends or family who are assisting, oftentimes if the patient doesn't give us consent to talk to them, we can still receive information from them legally. So oftentimes, you know, we can't confirm or deny somebody's here. But if they were here and there was something that you wanted us to know, because it is helpful to kind of fill in gaps and understand the big picture.
0: You're trying to learn about a person's personality and history in a very quick
1: amount of time. Yes. And, and really trying to treat them and maximize this short time that they're yeah. there with us.
0: And sometimes I think people think that it's like a punishment, but the reality is maybe removing the person from their, um, from their environment is actually a real help.
1: I think so. I mean, I from my own personal experience, I believe it's, it's a real blessing to have a chance to step back and see your life a yeah. little more clearly. Because when we're living life, it's, it's right up on us, and yep. we can't really see it. But when we get a chance to step back, we're able to see things more clearly. Maybe there's a lot of things that we're doing right, and maybe there's just one or two things that we want to do right. differently.
0: So it's really it's almost like a timeout for a little kid. Yeah, it's but a much needed. Yeah, much needed, and you have professional people around to help you. Yeah, which is which is the key. So so I think we've uncovered a lot of things. The voluntary, involuntary; those are important things. Mm-hmm. Um, the the admission is usually not. More than four or five days,
1: right? It's pretty short. So that's
0: a short amount of time. It, it's kind of a respite from whatever's causing what's happening. And I love what you just said, man. It's a, it's a great time to take a little time out and reflect back and say, okay, this is, this is what's going on, and we have the place to do that, which is phenomenal.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, how often
0: in your life can you just kind of almost look at from a higher level and see? what's happening
1: yeah and one of the common threads digressing back to the the earlier part of our talk is that I've worked with a lot of patients thousands of people that have come through and one of the common threads is that people do sweep things under the rug they stuff them they don't talk about them not just people with mental illness but human beings in general And so it becomes an opportunity to kind of let the pressure off the pressure cooker and talk a little bit about what's going on because when we let it out we're not carrying it around with us so much. It's not so so heavy anymore.
0: So, you know, if you think about it, when people say, uh, I don't know what I want to do, but I don't want to Baker Act them. I don't even like the fact that they use Baker Act as a verb. I don't either. It's just no good. <laughs> how would you How would you reset someone's mind who's listening to this to make it a, a positive? It, it, we have to view this as a positive, you know? And in some ways, I just think we've painted it to be so like negative, you know, if we call this a reset or you know, something different, how what can we do in our own minds and when we leave this podcast to be thinking about what we do more positively?
1: I think we could just in general carry an attitude of just openness, you know, what could be the blessing in me taking a timeout? Right, right. What could be the silver lining in me just taking a step back to try to see my life a little more clearly? You know, yeah. so I think it just, it's, a, it's just an attitude. It's a, it's a perspective.
0: And the, the interesting thing is um, I don't think it's anything to be scared of. And I think that people are afraid to sometimes, um, oh, I'll be admit- I don't want to be admitted, you know, or whatever. You hear that. And it really, we just have to continue because the people who are there are there because
1: they love to help people. Oh my gosh. They're the sweetest people. And that's the one thing that really sticks out for me in the culture. The people down in the adult psych unit, they have the heart for it. Right. You know, they're not just, it's not. No, just it's a, a job. calling. It I, is. It has to be. And once you've been down on the unit, if you're a patient, we have so many patients that come back, too many patients that I think get too comfortable down yeah. there because they actually love the environment they feel the support they love engaging in treatment and they feel safe here right. so they want to come back and that that creates its own challenges. yeah that does But yeah. I'm glad you're trying to paint this picture because I'm imagining that theres are people who wonder what is it really like down there yeah
0: yeah because and, and that's really why I wanted to do this podcast because when when the policeman shows up or policewoman or pol- law enforcement officer shows up at your house, and you have a a a person who's kind of out of control more than likely they're going to place them under a baker act because they don't want to be responsible for something bad happening and they also sense that there needs to be a separation for this person to get calmed down but that's it's not the you know it's it's not necessarily a bad thing. I think because law enforcement is evolved, and you're in the back of a law enforcement car, it kind of gets put into that. But I think that stigma is lifting. I do too. Uh, and I think that we can continue to work on that so that people just understand. You know, it's it's what Halifax Health does. It is caring. Mm-hmm. It is caring, and that's what that's what we're about.
1: Right. And this is not a criminal issue. Right. This is, these are civil matters. Right. You know, and people need help. Yeah, I mean, we have a fair number of people who are on the unit who just have suffered a loss. Yeah. They're, they're suffering from grief, and they're having trouble just moving on with their life. And right, Or maybe the grief is acute, and it just happened, and they're just having trouble knowing where to go. And so I think what you're talking about is really important.
0: So what, the one thing, and then we'll kind of wrap this one up, is it's like, man, if I were you, I would get so sucked into all these people hmm. um, that... You know, I would just, uh, and how do, you, how do you manage that?
1: When I first started, it was very difficult for me. I had trouble, um, I just really had to step up my self-care routine because I would take this stuff home with me. I'd read, I'm invested, you know, I'd read about these patients and I would talk to them and their traumas would become my traumas. And, uh, and so I have a huge self-care routine and, um, and, and I have a, a, a big support system and I talk about what's going on in me. try not to carry it around I try to make it a point to to process this with the people that are around me I'd rather over process it than under process it it seems to be safer for me yeah so we talk to our to our patients a lot about self-care and I think our staff does a really good job at taking care of themselves because it's hard to tell to tell somebody else what to do if you're not actually living it and doing it yourself so we do have a really unique wonderful group of people down there and uh you know, I really appreciate this opportunity, John. Yeah. I appreciate your personal interest in, in mental well being. Oh, so interesting. It's obvious that you really care, and and you want to get the word out that what we do down there is really, it's really important. We serve some of the most vulnerable people in our community. People who are suffering. I mean, the people that suffer here medically, they suffer as well. But the mental part is, um, it's it's something that's just not it's talked anguish. about
0: enough. It's anguish. It's it's really. And, and the interesting thing is, as I've gone through my own experiences, um, they, there's not – and I'm going to do another one on, um, on um, substance abuse. But, you know, the 12-step program for substance abuse seems to be, like, what people do, you know? And with mental health, which is all part of that still, it's so different because the triggers – and the behaviors aren't, I think, as, as regimented. And so it's really, it's really hard. It's really hard because you can't really feel exactly the way someone else feels or understand how they feel.
1: Exactly. And I think you know? that's another thread that our patients feel. People just don't understand. It's like I have people around me that care about me and love me, but they don't know how to support me right. because they don't know what I'm going through. Right. And they make a lot of ridiculous suggestions like, just don't <laughs> right. think about it or go for right, a walk right. and if it was that easy. And so the, one of the 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 real value for being a patient down there is you're with other people who, yeah. on the outside, the people, places, and things look a little different. Mm-hmm. But on the inside, we're all suffering from the same yep. negative thoughts and feelings. And you realize you're not alone. I can see that would bring strength. Oh, yeah. Because when you feel like you're all alone and no one can relate to you, then you're just... You're backed yeah. into a corner and you isolate more and, and the illness just perpetuates itself right, and right. builds and gets worse. So light,
0: light is one of the things that you have to have. Um, one of those things that you have to strive for is to see the light in things or else you're right. It just gets darker and darker and darker and darker and darker until something
1: snaps. Yeah. And we have some bright lights down there. I'm really proud That's of cool. what we do. And I'm glad you mentioned the substance piece. I was at a meeting last night. Chitwood reported to the Volusia Recovery Alliance that overdose deaths are down 25%. That's great. To where they were last year at that this time. That is great. Yeah. So, you know, that's a huge problem in the community right now. Fentanyl is killing yeah. a lot of people.
0: Yeah. It's t- it's, um, that's a whole nother subject that just slays me. But we'll get to it. Well, yes. this has been really good. I appreciate you kind of shedding a light on, on what we do in behavioral health and the fact that they all